0: Hello and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. Now, what was the first thing you did this morning? Smart Money says you looked at your phone. I know I did. Technology has radically reshaped the way we learn, work, and perhaps most crucially, interact with one another. While the world has never been more connected than it is now, it seems that we're also further apart than we ever have been before. How can we bring the human connection back into our lives? And how can maintaining emotional contact and support be beneficial for our businesses? On this episode of the HRD Live podcast, I'm joined by Erica Keswin. Erica is the highly influential author of the best-selling Bring Your Human to Work, founder of The Spaghetti Project, is featured in the New York Times, and will be the keynote speaker at this year's HRD Summit in Europe, taking place at the Rye Amsterdam on the 19th and 20th of June. Erica, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us from New York.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) It's great to have you. So, first of all, There's a conventional school of thought that time spent emotionally investing in workplace relationships can be counterproductive for business, that is. How can emotional connections, in your opinion, be beneficial to an organization's success?
1: Great. So when I wrote the book, I um, felt very strongly about the subtitle. So the subtitle of the book is it's, it's bring your human to work, 10 surefire ways to design a workplace that's good for people, great for business, and uh-huh. just might change the world. So I love this question because there are there's there's data, there's science behind why connecting and why honoring relationships is in fact good for business. So the first study I can cite is a fairly well-known study by Gallup that found that if someone in your workplace has a quote unquote best friend at work, they are seven times. More engaged and much less likely to leave, and we know that that, especially in a tight job market, turnover is extremely expensive. Right. And I, and when I heard that study, I was curious to understand more about you know what did that mean? What does that mean to have a best friend at work? And to have a best friend at work, it, it's when people talk to their colleagues about non-work. Related things that they are connecting on a human level. They're not phoning it in They're not texting people down the hall. And so, you know, this may sound cheesy, but left to our own devices You know, excusing the pun. We're not connecting and so within our (laughs) organization. Yeah, yeah, no, it works (laughs) So within our organizations, we need to be intentional. We need to curate connection in a very different kind of way um, you know, I'd love to share a study out of out of an airline industry that really struck me, um which found there were actually two parts, two different studies that that I looked at together. The first part of the study found that seventy three percent of incidents on an airline that ha- happens the first time a crew has flown together. Really? And a follow-on study out of NASA found, that a fatigued crew with a history of working together makes half as many mistakes as a well-rested crew that had never worked together before. And so the good news, especially for me, I've been on the road um, doing this book tour. So I've been flying a lot is that the airlines know this and they build in time for connection among the crew members. You know, they have these pre-flight huddles where people are building relationships because Mm. they know that it impacts performance. And when you're thinking about performance on an airline, you know, it's, um, you know, lives are at stake.
0: Of course. So how does one um, create that connection in between, but you say that they they form people into these huddles and try to engender that sort of closeness between them. How do you, you know, at at, at the risk of, of forcing it, how do you make that happen naturally in a way which feels conducive to productivity with people?
1: look sometimes you know force is a tough word but it is about creating organizational protocols right. you know the, the the one of the phrases that kept coming up in my mind over and over and over as w- as i was doing research for the book was that this is the Wild West. It's only last summer was the 10-year anniversary of the iPhone. And so thinking about the impact of this technology in our workplaces, in our meetings, it is still fairly new. So what do you need in the Wild West? You need a sheriff. You need somebody to provide some guidance, some rules of the road. And so that's the role of a leader. That's the role of a manager. And I break it down into what I call the three Ps. You know, the first is, are you prioritizing relationships? Does your calendar match your values, reflect Mm. your values? And if you look back in terms of how you spent your time over the last week, the last month, the last day, especially as a manager of people, and if you're not walking down the hall, if you're not connecting with people, chances are you're gonna have a lot of turnover in your group. The the second P is, is position. How are you leveraging technology to connect with people? Because technology is great for connection. Look, you're in London, I'm in New York, and we're having this great conversation. Um, but then how and when can you also put that technology in its place? And if you and I were on a regular team together, the hope is that one day we figure out how to actually see each other face-to-face. And right. then the last P are these protocols, going back to left to our own devices, that maybe you have rules of the road that when you're in a face-to-face meeting, there's no technology. Or one company in the book, a company called Zendesk, they have a happy hour. Yeah. But nowadays, if you have a happy hour, you still could have a bunch of people in the corner on their phones not really connecting, and you're not getting that sort of ROI on, on human connection. And so they, they mix it up. They have their executives behind the bar making drinks you know, creating opportunities for some laughter and some funny conversations. So it's not rocket science, but it does take a fair amount of work to think about ways creatively to get people to connect. So because to your point, you don't want it to always feel forced.
0: Exactly. It, it's interesting to think that how we can find that right balance between our use of technology and our need. And it is a crucial need, I think, for human interaction. How practically does that factor in, in the workplace? How do we create that in the workplace?
1: So I like to think about communication along a continuum. On one end, we have instant message and text and maybe Slack, and then we have email or Skype, and then picking up the phone, walking down the hall, and getting on a plane to connect face-to-face. And all of those mediums of communication are different, and they're definitely not created equal. But what I see from a societal perspective, and this is not just a quote unquote millennial thing, this is, I see it in all ages of people, that we are defaulting to that technological end of the spectrum. So what I recommend from a very practical perspective is what I call matching the message to the medium. I would love everybody to pause and before they default to sending the email or the text and saying to themselves, well, what is the goal? Am I running 10 minutes late? You know, we did, we changed the time of this call, 10 minutes. Great. Send an email. You know, do you have an employee who seems a little off? Do you have a client who's not returning your calls? You know, think about the goal and then pick the best medium of communication that will best help you honor that relationship. And when I do this myself, I will be honest and say more times than not, it pushes me to move up the proverbial food chain (laughs) of mediums from An email to a phone call to a phone call to walking down the street and meeting somebody, you know, here in New York to (laughs) potentially even getting on a plane.
0: It's interesting as well that you say how it's it's finding the right medium because I think a lot of people attempted to say okay well certain you know technology can really take the human aspect out of how we deal with each other especially with HR there's a huge anxiety around that but what you're saying is that technology can amplify that and it can help yeah. but it's knowing the correct way to do so and finding the right because there are times when a text message or a, or a slack message is, is the perfect way to interact but as you say even an email is different to sending a slack message right it makes a huge difference to how you're interacting with someone.
1: A hundred percent. And, you know, and sometimes it's knowing your audience. I mean, some people will push back on me and they say, well, you know, all of my clients are millennials and they don't want me (laughs) to do this. And I say, well, that's, that's fine. But just realize, depending on your job, I just spoke recently to a huge group of real estate brokers And they may not, but if you don't figure out and be creative how to get in front of them, the next time they're at a cocktail party and they meet somebody else, they might just go with a different real estate broker. You know, the same with a travel agent, the same with a wealth manager. So the job of getting people up and out of their office to connect face-to-face is harder but once people do it you know we still are human at least in 2019 you know there's not we're not a bunch of robots running around so there is that you know when people connect there there are physiological changes in our bodies our oxytocin goes up which is our feel-good hormone our stress goes down So I'm not saying, you know, it's harder in 2019, but that makes it even more impactful when we actually do it because all of a sudden we're like, wow, I do like to connect with people once in a while.
0: Exactly. And I think it's sometimes relying on technology forces you into a place where you you stop making that. Um, that effort to make that connection with someone but when you do as as I felt in the workplace it makes a huge difference if you just walk across the office to somebody to say listen you know I'm really pleased with this that you did or I hope you're not struggling with this it it feels totally different in the reaction and I think everything that you're saying fundamentally seems to come back to to empathy right and it's it's coming back to that essential human connection and like why that is so beneficial for a business you know it's not taking time out to do that it's feeding time into creating a great business you know
1: yeah 100% and that and it's a great point and the the empathy piece is I could almost I could equate it to that pausing and matching the message to the medium that if you actually pause and think about what's going on from someone else's perspective would they rather get an email in that moment or a call nice. or showing up at their office with their favorite you know Starbucks order Mm -hmm. um it it does push you to think about things in a different
0: way absolutely so let's talk about culture for a moment and the importance of culture in an organization how can making that effort to create that culture positively influence the state of mind of employees and that might be their um, efficacy in the workplace it might be their mental well-being or their health but how can creating that culture really change how individual employees act in the workplace yeah
1: so you know more today than ever before are people looking to their workplaces for purpose and meaning Mm. and I'm sure many listeners when they hear that will immediately think about millennials and gen Z because most of the press has been around the desire of millennials and Gen Z for meaning at work right. the the studies actually show that this desire for purpose and meaning increases with age which which makes sense but you know when I think about the Gen Xers my myself being one and and even baby boomers we there weren't enough of us like we didn't think it was okay to talk about having meaning at work. You just went to work. It was work. And my theory on this, on this change is that, you know, before all this technology, we'd go home at the end of the day and work was done. And that's when you connected with family, with friends, did your own thing, connected with yourself. Hmm. But now that the work has, there is no, you know, work just blends into our home life in every way, because of the technology, all of a sudden there's this this more of a desire or even a demand to figure out how to create a more human workplace, which comes down to to culture. Mm -hmm. So the way that I would answer your question is that it all comes down to the company's values, which nine out of 10 companies have, but more times than not, these values you know, they look pretty and they're written very nicely, but they're often platitudes that are sitting the on a plaque ceiling, or, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, on a frame on the wall. And I believe that especially with the millennials and Gen Z who will represent 75 percent of the workforce by 2025, you have to get those values off the walls and into the halls. They have to be real Um, Or people see right through them. Mm. So how do you do that? And, you know, I, I think that we can do that via face to face when we're in our all hands meetings, but we can also do it via technology and using technology to amplify the message You know, one example that I'll share, which is not in the book because it came from an interview I did about a month ago with one of the co-founders and now CEO of of Away Luggage, Uh booming, booming startup. You know, if you look around the airport, everybody has this luggage these days. (laughs) They have a Slack channel and the Slack channel is called Team Love. And they tell all of their employees, you know what? When you see someone living one of our values, put it in the Slack channel. And it creates this living, breathing repository of amazing examples of what does it look like in this company to, to live the values. Right. And what I love about it, it, you know, it's free, it's accessible to everybody, free if you have Slack, and if not use whatever tool you have in your company, mm-hmm. you can use it for onboarding. You get a new person in there, and they look through and like, oh, this is what this value means. This is what's expected of me. You know, you can have clients look at it. You can use it to then pick some of your favorites and and celebrate, you know, who's doing really well. And so I I think that getting the values off the walls into the halls is one of the most important things that a leader can do today.
0: It's interesting as well that when you feel that you're, your organization or company is is living your values in that way the difference it makes to how you feel about having that feedback absolutely where it feels like you're not just somebody working for an organization but you have that connection that loop of feedback with them right it makes a huge amount of difference. Out of interest, where do you stand on uh, turning your phone off or your emails off when you get out of work? What do you think should I, because I, this is something I struggle with personally. I, I, I'll leave work, but I've still got my emails going and I'm still thinking about it. Do you think we should switch that off as soon as we leave the office? Like you said, it was the, the case in the past, or should we should we remain connected? Or is it what works for you as a person?
1: I think it's what works for you. It's often not realistic and it's often makes people even more stressed. And so I go back to, creating those protocols for your team, you know, or for yourself. I, I think that organizations like leaders need to model that, like leaders need to make sure that they're taking vacation. There's a guy in the book who um, go leaves work early a couple days and goes to his kid's baseball game. And he has a mantra called leaving loudly, you know? So at three 30, it's like, okay, everybody, I'm out of here. I mean, so what we don't want is leaders never taking vacation and, versus celebrating it so that the people that work for them know that disconnection is is important. Um I just read about a company recently that actually pays you to take um oh it's um the the company base camp. I heard about it in a, in a podcast the other day. They they said don't take a fake a vacation. <laughs> and they say we're going to pay you to take give you $5,000 to to take an awesome trip. But the the trick is you can't be on email. And so I think at the end of the day, on a regular basis, it's what works for you, but the companies can set the tone. One example in the book is from a company called Dynamic, which is a healthcare consulting firm. And I love the example because consulting is an industry where one would think it's virtually impossible to disconnect. You're on the road, you're at the can call of your clients. Yeah. But this company came up with a, a, a protocol, a program called Zmail, as in catch some Zs. And the organizational protocol is no emails after 10 p.m. or before 6 a.m. and on the weekends unless it's mission critical. And so not everybody follows it all the time. But I will tell you that even when I'm emailing the CEO, it does get you to pause before you press send, kind of look at the watch and be like, you know what? Maybe I can send this tomorrow.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the Spaghetti Project. It's a fascinating idea, but could you tell me a little bit about the story behind the Spaghetti Project and what it can teach us about success in the workplace?
1: Sure, would love to. So when I was doing the research for the book, I came across a study out of Cornell University by a professor named Kevin Niffin. And Kevin... Was getting his PhD, and he was studying team performance. What differentiates Team A from Team B in terms of performance? And what? And his father was a firefighter, and so Kevin had grown up spending time with firefighters in firehouses, and so it made sense for him to study that world. And what he found was that the firefighters who are the most dedicated to the long standing tradition of the firehouse meal, building trust, sitting around the table, connecting with their colleagues, those firefighters actually save more lives. Mm. And so this was, you know, being someone who's always been a connector and working in the human capital space, this was a, a goosebump moment for me. Um look you know, really seeing data behind what I had always assumed to be true. And as I started talking to firefighters and hearing their stories, I um, was even more blown away. And when you when you watch television shows like Chicago Fire, or read about firefighters, the the stereotypical go to meal in the firehouse is spaghetti and meatballs. And so that's why I call my work the Spaghetti Project, which which is a platform that shares the science and stories of connection at work.
0: Right. So, and how does that function in the workplace? Then, how do we engender that? in, uh, say, you know, any kind of office space, a bank or wherever, how can the spaghetti project transplant to that atmosphere?
1: So what I do sometimes is I host spaghetti projects in my office with people across companies, or I'll go into a company. And it could be people all within the same department, or it could be all people, let's say, at the vice president level across all different departments. And we talk about why we're not talking. We talk about the challenge of technology. We talk about the importance of matching the message to the medium and begin to create together these these organizational protocols um, that we know are good for us as people and good for our business. So typically I'll come in, I do a talk, we break out into groups, we work together, and then the half day or the full day, depending on what it is, ends with a big meal of spaghetti and meatballs and, and channeling the firefighters. And and what I often say is, you know, it's obviously a metaphor for, you know, the, the spaghetti, but it, it really can be impactful when you're sitting around that table, you know, channeling the firefighters. And it goes back to our earlier conversation about the importance of being creative around how we curate connection. Right. So it could be over spaghetti, it could be over bagels in the morning or it could be like the airlines in that pre-flight huddle to mm. just get together and connect and doesn't need to be every day all day but <laughs> but we do have to be more intentional about doing
0: it. And I think that atmosphere of of sharing food and and, and sharing that time together, it does remind you that you have a shared goal, right? I mean, sometimes, I suppose, when you're in the workplace, you become so focused on your individual path that you lose sight of why you're there and why you're sharing this time with these people. And and sharing that connection can only lead to greater workplace success, I imagine.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, especially with how the world of work is changing, there's much more you know, cross-functional collaboration, that's necessary. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it does become even more mission critical and it's highly correlated with creativity and innovation.
0: So all of this comes down, I think, to where this change has to come from. You can have people like you coming into a workplace or holding workshops where we discuss these things. But at the end of the day, I feel like these these changes have to come from the top down within an organization. So how can we create the leaders who will reshape that work culture for the better and implement these changes?
1: So I guess I would say a couple of things. The first is, ideally, the CEO gets it and it flows down perfectly from him or her. But I will say that there are things, let's say you are a manager of 10 people. I do believe that there's a lot that you can do in terms of getting the values, bringing them alive, even within your team. Mm. And I just wanted to say that because I don't want, you know, somebody's listening to this who... They, and they feel like their CEO or the, you know the senior leadership doesn't get it. Yeah, maybe it's time to begin to look around for other potential opportunities. But I do think that a lot of this can, you know, you can make some real inroads in terms of how people think about disconnecting within their own team, how they think about wellness, how they think about giving back, making sure that you have, you know, a real sense of diversity and inclusion in in your group. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But how can we create leaders who will reshape work culture for the better? You know, I call this in my work, you know, leaders who get it. How do we create more leaders who get it? And I believe there's a lot of data and a lot of science out there to show leaders why this matters to their business. And so I lead with the data to say you know millennials are going to be 75% of the workforce by 2025 if you don't think about the values and how you're connected to the greater world and all of these things you will not be able to retain people so i try to lead with the numbers lead right. with the data and then provide them the tools for for how to get there how to think about it Making sure that they're, you know, walking the walk. Making sure that they're investing time to connect with with their employees. Even though they often think that millennials and Gen Z don't, you know, because they're so technologically savvy, mm. there's almost this assumption that they don't want to have those deeper connections. But they do, and they're not as driven by compensation. If they don't have those connections, of they will they will leave hands down. I think that there are a lot of levers that leaders can pull depending on their industry, depending on their budget, depending on whether they're a startup or a bigger company. Um, But the number one thing to do is know your values. Make sure you don't have too many. 10, 12, 14 values, way too many. They're not driving any kinds of behavior. Keep it from three to six so people really understand who you are. Speak in an, in an authentic voice when you talk about those values, like the example of the Slack channel at Away, mm-hmm. or you know when you're bringing people together face-to-face to talk about those values. And then the third piece is empower people to live the values when you're not there. And that's where I would start.
0: Erica, that's a fantastic place to end our conversation. That was wonderful. Erica, thank you for joining us on the HRD Life Podcast, and uh, we'll see you again soon.
1: Great. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Excellent. Thank you for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast. Uh, be sure to check out Bring Your Human to Work. It's a great book. I can't recommend it enough. And uh, look up the Spaghetti Project as well and see what it could do for your business. It's a very interesting, uh, very interesting project. Check it out on uh, the New York Times. It's actually it's really cool. And you can find Erica Keswin at the HRD Summit in Europe speaking on June the 19th and 20th at the Rye in Amsterdam. I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we'll see you again soon.